0: Hey,
1: what is up, everybody? Welcome
2: back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 129. Today we are doing the Scott and Lacey Peterson case, which we decided to cover because there's been some huge news in this case. Scott Peterson's death sentence has been overturned.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's huge news. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, and this is a, a lot
2: of mixed opinions on that. Absolutely. For sure.
1: This is a very controversial case. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people that think he did it. There's a lot of people that don't. We're going to dive into the whole thing and we're going to give you our thoughts and opinions on it because I think we have some different thoughts and opinions about this case. So yeah, I'm very excited to cover this. And it's yeah, it's just one of those cases that will leave you Kind of, I don't know, dumbfounded at the end, just in, in general. Like yeah. you just really don't know. Really
2: wanting answers. Yeah, it's just absolutely. one of those that you're just like, oh, I wish I knew it happened so bad.
1: I know. It's it's definitely one of those cases. So that is what we're covering today. But we also got a few news topics that are uh very, very important that we need to cover as well. Mm-hmm. But also I wanted to thank our sponsors for today, stamps.com and candid. It's rough times out here on YouTube, especially. So yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they don't like a lot of our content, so <laughs> they these don't seem
2: w- to like us.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: in general, and all starting our starting to channels. feel a little personal at yeah. this point. I'm yeah, feeling like yeah. It's- Even our uh, new podcast, Me and Janelle's The Sesh. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, we have four episodes out now, and three out of the four, including our trailer, are already demonetized. <laughs> Literally, and why? they're very like. They should they're not be getting personal, demonetized. Yeah, there's no reason they're really light listening. Yes, they should not be demonetized. So.
1: Yeah, not only that. On it our, is
2: feeling personal.
1: Some of our recent episodes like MKUltra and stuff yeah. they, they came back and said there was like all this wild stuff in there that yeah. wasn't in there and we're like, Yeah, guys, what?
2: they said there was nudity in it.
1: Yeah, adult content in there. I was like, what? <laughs> Absolutely not. We were like we we're like, Janelle, what the hell? Yeah. What'd you put in
2: there? Yeah, we <laughs> well, were, were like, sorry, what guys? did you edit in? <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I don't
3: know. It's honestly crazy. I try and like Think about when I'm editing the podcast, like, oh, would this slide, would this not? Yeah. But then of course, you know, you never know. Mm-hmm. Some things that shouldn't be going through are fine. And then some yeah. things that should, you know, be monetized are not at all. They're totally flagged.
2: It's yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. For <laughs> it's like you can example, never tell. Josh has had several episodes on Lights Out that we thought for sure were gonna yeah. get demonetized and they haven't. And they like, got Lights Out has done fairly yeah. well with that.
1: Yeah, and like we've had some that I thought for sure after manual review would be confirmed, not advertiser-friendly. And then they got flipped green. I was like, okay, this the is The system clear. is so messed up. What is going on? What do they have, a bunch of monkeys running the Seriously, review system over there honestly, at YouTube? Honestly,
2: it's starting to feel that way. And just so you know, we're not just complaining about it because we don't have ads like no. whatever. We have our own sponsors, yeah. and that could gives us the freedom to say whatever we want. But at the same time, it really limits our content. It severely limits how many people it gets out to like about half the views will come in on demonetized content. Yeah. So it's very just disheartening and frustrating.
1: Yeah. And like YouTube is a huge part of our, our show. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we started on YouTube and, and that's where, you know, obviously with podcasts, you know, a lot of you just listen to it, but we also have a lot of people that only watch it on YouTube as well. So
2: I personally love watching podcasts. So that's why I wanted to offer a visual version, but it's really disheartening that this platform just like is so censoring to the point where, I mean, our last episode on the sesh was demonetized. It was about school and our, our experiences with school. It's just ridiculous. So we really hope that Spotify ends up Uh, doing video hosting
1: yeah i hope there's going to be a new platform that has some sort of monetization built into it because to be totally transparent that's like a huge part of our you know company's revenue that's how we pay employees it's like that's a big deal to us if our content is being censored and demonetized so and and you know we're not the only ones out there that are dealing with this but it's it's just it's impacted (laughs) us heavily and it's just really annoying and yeah they gotta they gotta figure it out because it's just getting ridiculous at this point i'm
2: sure this one will be demonetized as well Probably. (laughs) (laughs) What can you do? I try not to get too upset about it after a while.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I'm over here like... Kendall, our podcast is getting demonetized.
2: She's like, yeah. yeah, welcome to YouTube, Janelle. Oh, welcome to my like, career in the last five years. Yeah. It's just been, it's slowly gotten worse and worse and worse. It's yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah, I just wish they would take a different approach to advertising and things like that. Like, look at TV, you know, like TV yeah. has tons of content that's advertised and stuff. Oh,
2: I know. Yeah, there's a whole network for crime content mm-hmm. on TV with plenty of advertisers doing just fine.
1: Yeah, it's so it just ridiculous.
2: No People aren't babies. They can see, they can decide what they want to see and make their own decisions. It's just ridiculous. So well, then they, like, anyway, we'll yeah. stop. We'll start. <laughs> we need to we stop. Could
1: go on and on about this all day, <laughs> yeah. but let's, let's just go ahead and jump right into the first yes, news story. So exactly. there was unfortunately another Fort hood soldier who was found uh, deceased uh, Sergeant elder Fernandez. He had actually been missing for more than a week before he was actually found dead hanging from a tree uh, last Tuesday, August 25th.
2: Really scary and upsetting.
1: So this comes after, you know, Vanessa again mm-hmm. uh, and, and that whole thing. So we're starting to wonder what's going on at Fort hood. Cause clearly mm-hmm. there are some issues there. And as we dig deeper into uh, elder's life and his experience at the base, it seems like there's some serious misconduct coming from superior officers and people that mm-hmm. are supposed to be in charge, uh, whether it's sexual assault or harassment, uh, all of these sort of factors I I believe led to elder Fernandez committing suicide is taking his own life. So
2: yeah, it sounds like he was being harassed it sounds like he didn't have anyone to go to, which is the same thing. Vanessa was worried that she, if she went, came forward with what was happening to her, that she would just be punished. She said she knew tons of other people that that had happened to. I think the culture is just extremely messed up there. And I don't know why Fort hood is having so many incidents but clearly someone needs to investigate that and an independent investigation needs to be done.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a good, good place to start. And I wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm not really familiar with how the military works specifically, but it seems like they almost need like an HR department, like at these bases mm-hmm. or like some type of safe yeah. place that soldiers can go to to complain about superiors. Because mm-hmm. if the only way that you can deal with harassment or somebody doing something to you is to go to a person above you, well... You know, you're yeah. go to your boss. That'd be like going to your boss and saying, hey, like, you know, I'm being what harassed if they're the one by harassing you. you. Yeah, right. What? And mm. or you go to your boss's boss.
2: Well, that's what Vanessa's family is trying to fight for um, with the I am Vanessa Gey Bill is for soldiers to have a place to report that type of stuff to a third party that is unbiased. So that way they can feel safe and something can actually be done about it.
1: Right. So because, an investigation is conducted. And, yeah. Because at most exactly. companies, most corporations, if you have a complaint about a superior, you can, you know, call the one eight hundred number for them and wow. or email that's and then, the idea. And uh, then maybe that's not
2: always how it is. Yeah. HR no, I know. is extremely corrupt as it is too. I know.
1: But in some places it does mm-hmm. work. For example, when I worked at Best Buy, they had a very good system and it was one of the things they told you like day one was like if you ever have any problems with anybody, this is the number you call. We take these very seriously. And I I saw incidents where You know, people went that avenue and, you know, whether it's supervisors or managers got reprimanded Mm -hmm. uh, for things that they were doing, because I think when, you know, superiors or managers feel like nobody's watching them or their boss doesn't Mm -hmm. care or their boss is in on it too, then Mm -hmm. there's no accountability. Yeah. And they feel like
2: they have some type of power.
1: mm -hmm. And it's especially sad when you have people that are literally serving our country and they are at risk for all these things when they really shouldn't be. Because they should be safe. It should be a safe place. I mean, you
2: shouldn't be worried about being harassed at your job to the point where you're going to, you know, commit suicide.
1: Right. But
2: do we even know that's for sure what happened? Mm -mm. I mean, there's been so many suicides this year, suicides that have been hangings, and I question a lot of them.
1: Yeah. Well, apparently the temple police say they do not suspect foul play. Okay. And they believe that it was suicide, although the autopsy reports have not come back yet. So obviously I think that's probably going to confirm it, but you never know. I mean, you never know. And clearly there's a a bigger issue here. I mean, there's been what another seven people that have, have died as a result of either activities they participated in on the base or uh, they just happened to be working on the Fort hood base this year that have died.
3: It's actually nine of them total
1: nine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a lot. And I think that warrants definitely an investigation into how they're running things. Who's in charge here? Why are these things happening? So a startling statistic though, that was done by a survey of army, Navy, air force, and Marine personnel in 2018 found about 20,500 instances of unwanted sexual conduct, which was a 38% increase from 2016. And about 6% of women in the military endured some form of sexual assault and almost 1% of men were victimized. So, it seems like the military does have a problem there that they need to address. And hopefully, you know, hopefully through Vanessa's bill and others that we mm-hmm. can hopefully get some accountability there. Cause I feel like the military oftentimes operates with no oversight, you know, from any sort of outside agency, they literally can do what they want on those bases. It's like they mm-hmm. have their own little government there. Yeah. Uh, they have their own police. They have their own situation. That there. seems
2: to be the mentality. Yeah.
1: And so they're, you know, they try to hide things that happen there. So hopefully they do something about this because this is just getting out of hand at this point.
2: And I'm glad more people are hearing about it because of all of this, you know, bring it's bringing attention to Fort Hood and just corruption in the military in general.
1: Right. So that's good. Absolutely. So the next story is about Jacob Blake, which has been in the headlines recently for obvious reasons. So on August 23rd, a 29-year-old black male named Jacob Blake was shot by police. They shot at him seven times, and he actually was hit four times in the back.
2: And there's video of it. There's actually two video recordings, I believe, from two different cell phones. We don't have body cam. Did you know that? There's no. They don't have body cams in this area. Um, Kenosha. Kenosha. What the hell? Who still doesn't have body cams? I guess they're not even planning to get them until 2022. You'd think that'd be so vital.
1: I'm just surprised. There's not like a national mandate to have right. all departments yeah. have body cams. It just seems like a weird, a basic thing they should have already have. Yeah.
2: But luckily there was two cell phone videos captured of this. And so I'm sure many of you have seen the video of it. It's very upsetting.
1: It really is. So apparently Jacob was attempting to de-escalate a fight between two women I believe that were family members potentially mm-hmm. that uh, they were having an argument with. And at one point uh, the police were called and one of the women told police that Jacob wasn't supposed to be there and that he had taken the person that called's keys and refused to give them back. So when officers were on the way, they they knew that they were dealing with somebody that was wanted. He did have a warrant mm-hmm. for his arrest
2: He's been having some domestic violence calls actually before this leading up to it. The police have been called a few times.
1: Yeah, it looks like his warrant was based on charges of third degree sexual assault, trespassing and disorderly conduct in connection with these domestic uh, calls that they've had in the past. When officers arrived, they said that Jacob wasn't cooperating with them. And so as a result, they tried to get him under control and they even used tasers on him a bystander who recorded a video of the incident told reporters that he heard police yelling, drop the knife. And after this initial scuffle, Jacob was able to break away from the officers and then walk to the driver's side of his vehicle. And then Jacob opened the driver's side door, leaned in to check on his three sons. And this is when police grabbed him and then fired seven shots towards Jacob's back.
2: So obviously there's been a lot of debate over the fact that Jacob had had all these previous things and he could have been violent and, And people wonder, does that make the police warranted for shooting him? And I still, I just don't understand how that really has anything to do with it. It doesn't matter what previous things someone has had. You should never, first of all, we were just talking about, you should never shoot someone in the back as a police officer.
1: That's like number one rule. As far as what I've learned and, and been told from police is that you never shoot somebody in the back. You need to see the weapon and and they need to be making a a threatening or aggressive advancement towards you Mm -hmm. with that weapon in some way for you to be justified to shoot them. So when they're completely turned around and obviously you can't see his hands, Mm -hmm. but you, you, if he's completely turned around and his back is to you, he's not a threat to you.
2: Exactly. He's not coming at you. You can't just sit
1: there and unload seven shots into the back because you think you presume that he's going to turn around. And first of all, it wasn't like they thought he had a gun because they had already made contact with him initially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was a knife. That was the situation here. And he, and that's even worse because with a knife, he would need to be coming at you with the knife for you to be justified to shoot, shoot him at all. Mm-hmm. So what police are saying from their perspective is that there's a point in time when they're shooting him in the back, that it appears that he is reaching, he's reaching or he has something in his hand that appears to look like a knife. And that is why that is why the shooting was justified.
2: Well, maybe they could have, if they really were that concerned and you know, worried he was going to possibly kill them or hurt them. Why wouldn't they just shoot him one time in the arm or the leg? What, why did they need to shoot him seven times? I don't understand that
1: because they teach you that. Unfortunately they teach you to shoot, to kill. you're not taught to shoot for a non-lethal shot. Like when you pull out, when you actually pull out your gun, the only purpose for that gun is to shoot, to kill somebody. There's no other reason to do it. It's not to try to maim them or try to dismantle them with, with your gun. That's why they have the, the less than lethal options. That's why they have the tasers is that if it escalates above a taser, then you have that, you have the judgment call to make whether or not you need to shoot and kill this person.
2: Well, it seems like the wrong judgment call then. Yeah, it was. He did not need to bring out his gun.
1: Well, the force wasn't even matched evenly. If Mm. he had reached into, reached into his waistband and pulled a gun. And as he's pulling around the officer, see the gun. Then I see uh, Mm -hmm. a justification to shoot seven shots at him because the officer could be killed by, by him at that point. But the fact that he potentially has a knife, he would have to turn all the way around Proceed to go at the officer mm-hmm. at that point for the officer then to be justified to shoot him at that point
2: Yeah, I mean I will never understand officers that shoot people in the back while they're doing something else or trying to go away from them There's remember there's that other video a few years back of an officer shooting an un- unarmed black male who Was running away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and
2: just shot him like 10 times or something. Yeah
1: that, what that's is completely this? against protocol like that's not even remotely so okay.
2: I don't understand how anyone can defend this especially with just being like well he had all these other charges and and things that does not justify being shot seven times in the back period no. you can't argue
1: it no and what, what I don't understand is there's multiple officers there right so many of these incidents there's multiple people there mm-hmm. so why aren't they work well, it's three against one okay. you guys can't fit physically take this one guy and get him under control like what is it's not like this was a one-on-one fight even like there's multiple police there at that point so there's just no excuse and this is just another example of the officer made a bad judgment call and unfortunately he needs to be held responsible for it because now jacob blake is paralyzed as a result of this shooting and and not only that his kids had to witness him being shot by police and 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 just the damage that is going to, you know, the trauma that he's going to deal with as a result of what I think is a, a scared police officer. Probably mm-hmm. he's just in, you know, you're in the, it's a hard job. I get it. Like I get, you know, you can't, we're all humans. We make mistakes. And you know, in that moment it's, you could be it's scared, heated. Yeah. But at the same time you, you signed up for that job. You got to be prepared for the consequences if you make the wrong judgment call here. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately there's this, culture of you know police covering for other police and you know they I have I think there's a lot of corruption with the internal review process and so you know because it's not always the case that an outside agency reviews it their own internal affairs department reviews the incident and obviously no police department wants to have an officer on record who's murdered somebody so oftentimes it gets kind of swept under the rug or they say it's justified and I think in this case they're going to come back and say this is justified. And I don't think they're going to press charges against the officer that shot him. Unfortunately.
2: Wow. Well, people are going to be angry. They are. That's why there's gonna protests. Be, <laughs> That's it's why only there's going to get, it's only going to be
1: more. So, and it, I mean so much so that the NBA, uh, they boycotted the playoffs games the other night. Yeah. They didn't even play. That. Wow. Because they've just had enough LeBron James tweeted out. Like mm-hmm. this we, is ne- we need change. Like this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't get it, and the police just seem to have a very aggressive stance. The you know, the officers, all these social media officers that are out there, I mean, not all of them, but most of them are saying that this was justified. and all you got to do is look at the the footage and clearly he was reaching and, you know, we're allowed to, you know, shoot somebody if they're reaching for a weapon regardless. So there you go. But from a outside law enforcement perspective, we all we saw was a unjustified, police shooting that ended up uh i mean luckily he lived but at the same time he's paralyzed now it's going to affect the rest of his life because of this incident so but i do think the reason why this escalated is because he did have warrants on him and he did have the charges pending uh
2: but still which
1: is the reason for the escalation okay
2: but it's still not justified that the end action was not justified right um but that's what
1: the police are saying is that they responded accordingly to his charges mm-hmm. and to the fact that he was, you know, resisting arrest.
2: Well, I think if you haven't seen it yet, you should look up his sister speaking on this. She just she really blew me away. Her words were extremely powerful. Um, she just did, you know, like a news yeah the press conference. Yeah, yeah, press conference is what the word I'm looking for. And yeah, it was really meaningful. We'll link it below if you want to check it out.
1: Yeah. And I think the biggest thing and the reason why people are so upset too is because literally in the same week, we have this 17 year old, oh, yeah, white male, nut job, Kyle Rittenhouse, mm-hmm. roaming the streets with an AR 15 illegally. Thinks and
2: he's a militia,
1: thinks he's like backing up the boys in blue or something. And He's out there shooting protesters and the police literally let him flee. He walked right by like the police have don't see Mm -hmm. him as a threat. They don't see him as a threat. He's walking around with an air 15.
0: Yeah,
3: he has a weapon. Why didn't they shoot him in the back seven times? Yeah, what the fuck?
1: And that's that's so sick of this. And that's exactly why there's black lives matters because it's so obvious that
2: so
3: obvious
1: you're you're you know, you're privileged if you're white. Absolutely. And that's the way the police look at it too, clearly. Mm -hmm. This is just another example. So,
0: yeah.
2: Well, Uh, I hope it doesn't get too violent, the protests, because I know Jacob Blake's mother specifically was really upset about that. She doesn't want it being done in his name. And I get that. Um, So, I don't
1: know. It's just, God, this year has just been absolutely crazy.
2: It really has. It has one
1: thing after another every week. There's something like this happening and just feels like we're moving in slow motion almost like Mm
2: -hmm. sometimes it does feel like
1: that. And our government's just such a mess. There's nothing being done. There's no changes happening. There's nothing being taken seriously and it just continues. It's just like, when is this going to end? When are we going to actually get some change? So man, Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what else to say because this is just just getting ridiculous at this point. It's
2: really honestly, it's depressing.
1: But But. (laughs) with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the case of Scott and Lacey Peterson. We've got a lot to cover here. Yes. Yeah.
2: We have a lot of opinions
1: here. So let's go ahead and start by talking about Scott Peterson and a little bit about his background and family life. So Scott Peterson was born on October 24th, 1972 and he grew up in a large working-class family in San Diego, California. His father, Lee Peterson, worked for a trucking company and then started his own crate packaging business, while his mother, Jackie Latham, owned a boutique shop. The couple had a combined six kids from previous partners when Scott was born, and as a kid, Scott loved to play golf, and by junior high, he could even beat his dad, so he was actually pretty good. In fact, in high school, he was on the golf team with Phil Mickelson, Which if you don't know who Phil Mickelson is, he's probably one of the greatest golfers of all time. He's like a professional uh, champion in golf. So that's pretty impressive. And actually, Scott and Phil actually both enrolled at Arizona State University. And Scott was frustrated that he had to compete with Phil. I would be frustrated, too, if I was him uh, trying to play against Phil Mickelson. But one night, he took a teammate named Chris Couch out drinking. And when Chris's father found out what had happened, that his son was hung over after the night out... He told the golf coach, and Scott actually got kicked off of the team. Soon after this incident, though, Scott transferred to Cuesta College in San Luis Obispo. He then transferred again to California Polytechnic State University and ended up majoring in agricultural business. He did very well in his classes and gained the favor of many of his professors, but he still dreamed of a career as a professional golfer. While going to school, Scott also worked as a waiter at a restaurant called Pacific Cafe, This is where he actually met Lacey Denise Rocha, a fellow Cal Poly student who came into the restaurant to visit a friend.
2: Lacey was born on May 4th, 1975. Her parents are named Sharon and Dennis Rocha, and they were high school sweethearts, actually, who ran a dairy farm in Escalon, California. They had Lacey's older brother, Brent, in 1971. Lacey was actually named after a girl that her parents knew in high school, And despite their long history together, Sharon and Dennis divorced when Lacey was barely a toddler. Sharon moved the kids to Modesto, California and married a man named Ron Gransky. When she got remarried, Lacey was two years old. So she really grew up with Ron as her father figure. Well, one of her father figures. But Lacey and Brent continued visiting and working on the farm with their dad. So they still maintained a relationship with him as well. He also remarried and Lacey gained a stepbrother who's named Nathan Hazard and eventually a half-sister named Amy Woodward. Lacey loved working on the farm. She really liked nature in general. She's a tourist, so she loves plants and being outside. Gardening and all that. Yep. Uh, she loved, yeah, to garden with her mom. She was really well-liked in high school. She seemed like such a nice person. I think that's what's so what makes this case so interesting to people, too, is she's just so cap- captivating for some reason. She seemed like such a nice human.
0: Yeah. And
1: she's absolutely beautiful. Too, yeah. She's so. very beautiful inside and out. Mm-hmm.
2: She enrolled in Cal Poly to study ornamental horticulture. So really into plants actually.
1: Yeah. Seriously. I wonder what classes are like for horticulture.
2: That'd be cool. It'd I'm sure it's be really so interesting. interesting. Yeah. I would love it.
1: You, you could use a few classes in horticulture. Yeah, I could. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when she met Scott Peterson in 1994 at the Pacific cafe, Lacey felt an instant connection. She sent him her phone number and told her mom that she had actually met her future
1: husband. So it's kind of like sparks flew that first time they met. Yeah. Like they almost knew that they Seems were kind like of like it made for each other.
2: Mm-hmm. And after only two years of dating, Scott and Lacey moved in together. Scott decided to kind of put aside his dream of being this professional golfer and become a professional businessman instead and a family man. Lacey graduated a year before Scott and they got married in summer of 1997 in August at Sycamore Mineral Springs resort. Their wedding was beautiful. I love her wedding dress. The pictures
1: are are really nice. Yeah.
2: She has a beautiful smile.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they look like a very happy loving couple for sure. They
2: definitely look that way. Scott continued with his senior year of college while Lacey started working. But during his senior year, Scott had at least two affairs. He had told the first woman that he was single and had never been married. And during the affair, the woman walked into the couple's bedroom and saw Scott and Lacey together in bed. And that's how she learned that he was married and how Lacey also learned that he was cheating on her.
1: Oh, my God. That must have been traumatizing. I
2: know. And, like, I don't know. I think every person is different. Like, for me, I don't know if I could ever continue on i guess i've never been cheated on so it's hard for me to be in that position and say what i would do but i can't imagine continuing on a relationship and trusting someone after that It'd especially really like
1: like if we were in bed and some woman yeah. just like walked into oh my our gosh. room and like be Josh, so you'd be like
2: yeah hell? you know we would be done so <laughs> fast but anyway they had worked it out and decided to stay together But it didn't end there. Obviously, there was another affair. Scott told the second woman that he was getting a divorce when they started dating. And she had no reason to doubt him until they were together at their graduation ceremony in June of 1998. Lacey walked up to Scott and put a lay around his neck. And up until that point, the other woman believed that Lacey was out of the picture. But anyway, like I said, they stayed together through all this. And after Scott graduated, he and Lacey decided they wanted to start a business together. Scott's parents actually thought it was a bad investment, but they decided to open a sports bar called The Shack in San Luis Obispo. The business actually improved for a while, but by the time it hit year 2000, they decided they were ready to start a family together. So they sold their business and bought a three-bedroom house instead in an upscale neighborhood of Modesto. Scott started working as the West Coast sales rep for Trade Corp USA, selling fertilizer and chemical nutrients and irrigation systems to large farms and horticulturists, And he made a nice living of around 5K per month.
1: Yeah, which is not bad at all. No.
2: Lacey worked as a substitute teacher and worked hard to keep a nice home for Scott. She liked entertaining friends and cooking large meals. In early 2002, Lacey was pregnant with their first baby and she was elated. She often talked about it with her mom, how excited she was for her and Scott's future family and... Just to have a baby. I mean, she was really, really determined to be a mom her whole life. So this whole time in her life was really exciting for her. So on the outside, everything seemed kind of perfect for them.
1: Yeah. Meanwhile, Scott is definitely doing some shady shit. That's for sure. Yeah. So in October, Scott actually went to a trade convention. And while he was there, he met a woman named Sean Sibley. And they ended up spending some time together. And Scott told her that he was single. Joking that his name tag should say, quote, horny bastard to help him find women to hook up with.
2: Why would that help you? If
3: I saw that, I'd be like, what the fuck <laughs> yeah, that's is wrong th- with you? Oh, damn. It says horny bastard. Well, then come here. Yeah, <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> yeah seriously.
1: That, that's that's very weird. But it, I mean, it just goes to show where his mind was at. But Sean decided to set Scott up with her friend, Amber Frey. Amber was a massage therapist and a single mom from Fresno. And they met in mid-November. The two hit it off and started dating. And as far as Amber knew, she was dating a successful, handsome, single man with no attachments or baggage. And they saw each other at least four separate times, which I can imagine on each of those four times, he definitely was probably intimate with her uh, during those times.
2: I mean, most likely a few of them at least. Yeah. Yeah. And Amber was really into Scott. So far, I mean, they'd had a couple of dates and she was really enjoying everything. But then on December 9th, he told her something kind of weird. He said that he had lost his wife and this would be the first Christmas without her since she died, which is really intense. I mean, she felt really bad for him and had no idea. Mm -hmm. But obviously this is not true. So at some point, Lacey found out about the affair. She was nearly seven months pregnant when she found out and furious at Scott. Oh my gosh. I would kick his ass out so fast. Seven months pregnant. How disrespectful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Why is she staying with him? I wonder.
2: Lacey's due date was in mid-February 2003, and they had already decided on a name for their baby boy. His name was going to be Connor. The week before Christmas, Lacey and Scott decided to spend a three-day weekend with Scott's parents in Carmel, California. Also, sometime around mid-December of that year, Scott had registered a fishing boat with the Department of Motor Vehicles. He stored the boat in a warehouse in Modesto that he used to conduct business for Trade Corp. Lacey went to visit the warehouse after returning from their little trip, so she most likely saw this new boat. Then on December 23rd, Scott and Lacey's housekeeper, Margarita Nava, came to clean the house. She noticed that Lacey was tired, but she really thought nothing of it because, you know, she was so late in her pregnancy. She's seven months along. And then later that day, around 5.45 p.m., Lacey and Scott decided to go see Lacey's sister Amy at the salon where she works. Amy gave Scott a haircut, and as they talked, Amy said she needed to pick up a fruit basket that she bought for her grandfather for Christmas. Scott had planned to play golf the next day in the same neighborhood and offered to pick it up for her. And after the haircut, Lacey and Scott went home. Lacey talked to her mom on the phone around 8.30 p.m. But that evening would actually be the last time that Sharon would speak to her daughter and the last time that Amy saw her sister. So the next morning was Christmas Eve 2002. Lacey woke up and she had cereal for breakfast because she was pregnant. So she kind of got nauseous in the mornings. Her and Scott hung out that morning and watched Martha Stewart. Scott was getting ready to go fishing that day. And that day her plan was to just bake some Christmas cookies and then walk their dog pretty mellow day. They had a golden retriever named Mackenzie and she normally took him to a park near their house.
1: And this is as far as we know, this is, Mm -hmm. this is not, we have no way to officially, you know, this is according to Scott, Mm -hmm. by the way, too, Mm -hmm. because obviously the only people that know what they did was her and Scott. Right. Right. Scott's plan for the day was to go spend the morning fishing and he had actually packed the car that morning and headed out around 10 AM. So at some point Lacey leaves the house and then takes her dog Mackenzie for a walk and dozens of witnesses say they saw Lacey walking her dog between nine 30 and 10 30 AM that morning. However, two neighbors claim that they found Mackenzie the golden retriever wandering the neighborhood alone and then returned her to Scott and Lacey's backyard. The first neighbor was named Karen Service, and she saw Mackenzie around 10.30 a.m. She then led Mackenzie back to Scott and Lacey's house and left her in the backyard. A second neighbor, an unnamed woman, claimed she found Mackenzie attached to a muddy leash sometime that morning, and when she brought the dog back to Scott and Lacey's backyard, she said she didn't notice anything unusual about the yard or the house. Also that morning, the neighborhood postman was delivering mail, and Mackenzie always barked when the postman came close to the house. But today he noticed it was quiet and the timestamp on his scanner matches up with when the other neighbors say they saw a pregnant woman who looked like Lacey walking a dog. Scott returned from fishing that afternoon and no one was home. But Lacey's 1996 Land Rover Discovery was in the driveway where it usually was. Scott saw McKenzie in the backyard and brought her inside. After Scott took off his wet clothes and put them in the wash, he then showered and got dressed like it was any other day. And at 5.15 p.m., Scott called his mother-in-law, Sharon, and told her Lacey had never came home. Within half an hour of the call, Lacey's stepfather, Ron, called the police and reported her missing. So that, to me, is interesting that Scott Mm -hmm. didn't like call the police right away and be like, my wife's missing. She didn't come back from her walk.
2: Mm -hmm. Can you judge someone based on the way that they act?
1: Right. His actions don't Mm -hmm. reflect what most of us would consider a normal mm. person to do in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like if I came home and I knew you had gone on a walk by yourself with, with our dogs. Yeah. And, and
2: Oakley just like turned up by himself. You'd be freaking the out. The
1: dogs are in the yard, but you're not in the house and your car's there. Yeah. I would immediately be alarmed and, and call the police and start mm-hmm. freaking out, honestly. Mm-hmm. But Scott seems to do kind of the opposite. So after the police were called, two police detectives were dispatched to go to Scott and Lacey's home that night. So when the police arrive, and, and again, there was a, a patrol officer that made it to the house at first. I believe his name was Officer Spurlock. And then obviously the detectives, John Bueller and Alan Brocchini, also came. And they all questioned Scott about you know what was going on and what he had been doing that morning. And what's interesting is there's definitely some, uh, I guess, controversy there. Or yeah. uh, potentially uh, Scott Peterson's side says that there's a false narrative put out that he lied to officers saying that he went golfing that morning mm-hmm. when some
2: sources say that
1: some sources say that. But I think the reality is, is that he did tell police that he went fishing yeah. that morning.
2: If you look at their website, Scott Peterson, they have it all listed of how many people he told that he was actually fishing that day, um, including the The officer. So I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of false narratives have gone out about this case. That's been a big problem. There's lots of misinformation. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case.
1: So after questioning Scott for a bit, the police then searched the house. And that's when they found Lacey's purse in a closet. And inside, they also found her wallet, keys, and sunglasses. So by finding those things, clearly she didn't go anywhere, probably on her own accord, if she did disappear at this point, because Mm -hmm. who leaves without their wallet and keys? No, she wouldn't have done that. Right. In the dining room, the table was elaborately set for Christmas dinner the next day. And when they searched the kitchen, they found a phone book on the counter and it was open to a full page ad for a defense lawyer.
2: That's interesting.
1: Scott also told police that he left a voicemail for Lacey when he was fishing. So we'll play that for you. Hey beautiful, I won't be able to get to Villa Farms to get that basket for
0: Papa. I was hoping you would get this message and uh, go on out there. I'll see you in a bit,
1: we love you. Bye. So right off the bat, police were very suspicious of Scott because his wife, his pregnant wife, was missing with their child and he had this very, very calm demeanor about him. He really didn't seem upset. He didn't really seem like anything. I mean, he was pretty unemotional about all of this. So most police are gonna become, you know, based on their experience, they're gonna say, Okay, most people in this type of situation would have at least some sort of emotion about their wife being missing and worried and wanting to help uh, in any way shape that they can and that just wasn't the case with scott that same night detective brocchini went with another officer to scott's warehouse where he kept his fishing boat which i think they just wanted to try and confirm his alibi by going to see if in fact he did have a fishing boat where he said he did and of course he did and over the next two days a search began for Lacey. Family members, friends, and people in the community came together to post flyers and search the surrounding areas. At least 900 civilians were part of the search efforts. I mean, they got a ton of people involved. I think they even set up a headquarters at the Red Lion Hotel, I believe it was, and the whole community came out to try and find Lacey. 30 police officers, along with many firefighters, led multiple search efforts. They even searched along the Dry Creek near Lacey and Scott's home and they had water rescue units searching on rafts they also brought in canine units and police officers on horseback and bicycles and when it got dark they used searchlights on helicopters to continue the search literally they did about as much searching as you could possibly do with the resources that they had i mean they really really searched far and wide for lacy meanwhile the police are obviously looking at scott as the first possible person of interest here For Lacey's disappearance and the first thing that they wanted to do was get a search warrant for Scott's warehouse and once that warrant was issued they actually conducted the search warrant on December 27th and then in a press conference Detective Brocchini announced that they suspected foul play the police believed Lacey wouldn't take off without any personal items and without telling her husband or family family and friends organized a vigil to help raise awareness in the community about Lacey's disappearance. And after the first two days, the local media picked up the story and it quickly became a national story and literally made national headlines and probably headlines across the entire world. That's the thing about this case is that it got so much media coverage to the point where everybody knew about it. Soon after the police's press conference, family and friends organized a vigil to help raise awareness in the community about Lacey's disappearance. And after the first two days, the local media picked up the story and then it soon spread like a wildfire and became a national story.
2: And Lacey's family really came to the community to ask for help. I mean, they really were able to rally a bunch of people, I think, with how open they were about their emotions and how upset they were. Whoever has her, please, please, please let her go. Bring her back We love her so much.
0: We want her her back. Please, let let us have her back.
2: In fact, over 1,500 members of the community continue to search and raise awareness for Lacey. They posted blue and yellow ribbons in her honor and hung flyers, created LaceyPeterson.com. A reward was also offered for information that led to Lacey's safe return. It started at 25000 but it was eventually raised to 250000 and then to 500000 which is a huge amount for a missing person.
1: Because I think, I think they thought that somebody must have abducted her yeah, and maybe was holding her captive and maybe they could entice that person to return her mm-hmm. safely in return for a, a large sum of money. And I, I always wonder, I'm like, how often does that work?
2: I know. I'm curious about that like, too.
1: Is it, does that, because
2: how could you return someone without getting arrested? And, how
1: are you ever going to spend that 500,000 right. unless it's going to be on your, why would they legal fees? come
2: forward? I guess if, there was a way to make sure that they didn't get caught or drop something, the money
1: here and
2: like one of those old fashioned uh, yeah, you don't hear many stories of that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like five hundred thousand
3: is like maybe one of the biggest rewards yeah. that was ever put out for a missing person. Like I can't think of someone it's that had a bigger one.
2: One of the biggest that I've heard of, yeah.
1: Which all helps with the media coverage too. I mean, this was this became like such a high profile case so Huge. quickly. Huge,
2: yeah. I mean, the media started treating this as kind of like an O.J. Simpson thing. Yeah, like yeah. just twenty four hour coverage on HLN. Nancy Grace talking about it all the time. I mean, it really became like a public frenzy in a way.
1: Well, and that's because the police were pretty much pointing the finger at Scott, like right off the bat. Like he was
2: well in the public, the public public first to point the finger at Scott
1: because all the while that the family is asking for the public's help and everything, Mm -hmm. Scott is nowhere to be found. Pretty much like he's helping, but he's not really like the face of the investigation. He's not really out there pleading to the public.
2: And meanwhile, her whole family is making extremely emotional appeals. I mean, her dad even broke down crying, sobbing, heavy sobs. And to not really get any of that emotion from Scott was just kind of off-putting for people. And he didn't seem to be concerned. Yeah, like It wasn't like he was just emotion not emotional because he was so focused on finding her. He just seemed a little like... I don't know how to even explain just like not focused at all on her like disconnected, very detached from the situation. Like, yeah, it's odd. And of course, people do make the argument that you can't judge someone for how they react to a situation like this. There's no textbook for grief, of course. But I think you have to factor it in a little bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with considering it and making it part of your judgment
1: well there's a reason why there's literal behavioral uh, analysts that yeah. look at people there's body language experts mm-hmm. i mean there there's a science behind people's behavior and how they respond right. to different things so it's not like it's just completely you know can be completely dismissed that somebody is acting odd and you yeah. know Therefore, it doesn't mean anything. Clearly, it means something. It means something. Does right. it
2: mean they're for sure guilty? Right. No. Does but it make him should a, it be considered? Yeah, I yeah. think so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely plays into it for sure. It's important to note, too, that Lacey's family did not suspect Scott at this point. No. They literally said in public yes. to everybody that they trusted Scott mm-hmm. and that we know he had nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm and
2: almost in a way that was like shutting it down like stop talking stop saying that we know it's not him you're wasting our time okay right in and the beginning
1: yeah in the beginning and that's why the police also kind of kept everything hush hush too about what they were really thinking because they didn't want to like go against the family mm-hmm. you know they're at the beginning and say like we think it's scott but then the family's like no 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 no. Mm-hmm. so they really kind of kept it to themselves for a while at who their person of interest was
2: So since there was so much media coverage of this case, and I mean record media uh, trucks just sitting out of their in front of their house at all times and following Scott around.
1: So while everybody's looking for Lacey, the police are starting their investigation. They're starting to try to figure out what happened to her. Where was she last seen? And this is really interesting. Um, Basically, A bunch of different people, like we said, at least 12 people reported that they saw Lacey walking McKenzie, their dog, that morning. She disappeared. But the police only followed up with three and with only one phone call. But they never followed up on all the other people that claimed they had seen Lacey the day she disappeared.
2: And they never met up with any of them in person.
1: Which is very, very weird to me. That is weird. And a lot of people take that as they already... Felt like they knew who did it and they already had their sights locked in on Scott. And that's the reason why they didn't investigate this as seriously as they should have. Mm -hmm. And they didn't go at all possibilities. Yeah. Chase down every lead and make sure that you've got the right person before you just focus in on one person. Mm Because as we'll find out later, there's a lot of different scenarios that could play out.
2: So obviously the media coverage of this was just insane. They were outside of their house all the time and following Scott and just looking for anything because people were just so interested. I mean, this was on tabloids. I remember as a kid seeing Lacey's face on tabloids and thinking that she looked like someone I knew. It just always stuck out to me this case because of that. There was just so much public interest. It was such a soap opera. And it didn't take long before the media reported that Scott had an affair they found out about his whole affair with amber fry which was currently going on so they exposed the affair with amber but not only that they also exposed his affairs in college and that just really doesn't look good that's ruining no. all the, you know this image that they were this perfect couple and we're really happy i mean yeah. definitely makes you question him
1: for and sure. people don't like cheaters and liars no and clearly By this coming out, this proved to the public that Scott was a liar Mm -hmm. because he was hiding this infidelity with Lacey and wasn't forthcoming with information. So I think this was like the straw that broke the camel's back for for Scott, really, because Mm -hmm. once people found out about this, they're like, this guy's a piece of shit, he's a cheater, he's just pathological liar well, it
2: gives you motive possibly, you know, maybe he didn't want to have a baby and didn't want to be married. Yeah. He didn't want that anymore yeah. and wanted Amber. So Amber Fry, like we said, had only had a couple of dates with him. So she didn't really know that much about him. And she was shocked when she saw the story on the news in late December. And she decided to call the police because she figured that they didn't know about the affair. She knew that that was big information, but also Scott had told her that he was a widower. If you guys remember earlier, we said that Scott had told her that this was going to be the first Christmas he was alone because his wife had just passed and how she felt really bad for him. So she told them that. And when they heard that, they were like, oh, my God, that's crazy. So they asked her if she would continue on in the relationship with him and act like everything's normal and allow them to record their conversation so that they can kind of use her as a tool. So she agreed to do that, which I'm sure was really hard.
1: Yeah. How nervous he would be Mm -hmm. knowing that. And she even took calls when like detectives were standing right next to her and she had to be act completely normal while talking to Scott and carry on normal conversation with him.
2: And meanwhile, she's freaked out by him. She thinks he possibly could have killed his wife.
1: She's realizing like, holy shit, who have have been talking to?
2: I know. It's a little scary. On January 6th, Scott and Amber were on the phone and it was then that Scott finally told Amber that he had been lying to her about him traveling that whole time and that he had actually lost his wife before Christmas. He, you know, made all of that up and here's that phone conversation. Girl,
0: I got married to her name is Lacey. She disappeared just before Christmas. I deserve an explanation of why you told me you'd lost your wife and this was the first holidays you'd spend without her. This has to be the biggest coincidence I have ever heard of. I mean, are you psychic? You predicted your wife would be missing? How did you lose her then, before she was lost? There are different kinds of loss, Amber. Then explain your loss.
2: I I can't do now. So then on New Year's Eve, they had a candlelight vigil for Lacey. And there was a lot of media at this. So there's a lot of pictures and the family spoke there. It was a very emotional night. There were so many people there. And meanwhile, Scott takes a phone call while he's there at the vigil from Amber. And meanwhile, the police are recording this whole thing. Um, And he tells her that he was in Paris.
1: Yeah, he said he went on uh, like a business trip in Europe or or something. Yeah,
2: I think he said he was going to Paris next. Let's actually play the call so we can hear exactly what he said.
0: Year. I'm, uh, the Eiffel
3: Tower. Is unreal. I get reminded every so often.
1: Who in their right mind would do something like this? You're literally at a candlelight vigil. You're mm-hmm. talking to your, the woman that you're cheating on your wife with. And not only that, you're lying about where you are. Yeah. Like th- that tells then you, you a lot You get off the phone him.
2: and you go just join back into this yeah. vigil. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he was still trying to keep this affair going just says so much.
1: Yeah, he was going to, he, he would have continued it all the way through this whole thing if he could have.
2: Then on January 16th, 2003, Scott told Lacey's brother Brent on a phone call that he had an affair a year ago and that it was over. Other than this call, Scott barely spoke to Lacey's family since the day she disappeared. That is crazy because their family seems so like i don't know friendly and and so involved and yeah i don't know why why he would distance himself so much you think he would be closer to them
1: yeah and and i think that was a huge red flag for the family Mm -hmm. Lacey's family especially that scott was acting very very weird and probably not at all like they thought he would in a situation like this
2: and when her family found out about the affair and saw pictures of them together because they had taken all these pictures at like a Christmas party, him and Amber. Uh, they were furious about it. And the final straw for them was learning that Scott had told Amber that his wife was dead just 14 days before Lacey went missing. That's so scary. Big mistake, dude. Yeah, that's, I mean, wow.
1: If he did do it, then that was the dumbest thing he could have done was yeah. tell her that.
2: If he was, uh I don't know. Does that show he was planning it? I, I don't, don't know. know.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people would say absolutely.
2: But even if he wasn't planning it, what a weird thing to tell someone. If you're, you know, like, why wouldn't you just be like, I'm not married? Or I feel like you'd come up with a bunch of other lies before you straight up. are like, yeah, my wife just died 14 days ago or whatever." So then eventually on January 24th, 2003, Lacey's family announced at a press conference that they were publicly withdrawing their support for Scott so basically, saying we think there's a possibility he did do this.
1: And then on January 31st, Scott sent an email to Lacey's mother. And in the email, he wrote, I never took the time to apologize for my infidelities. I'm truly sorry I was not forthcoming with you. I'm sure that made her family feel a lot better.
3: An email? Yeah. What That's the like the hell? most unpersonal thing ever. Yeah. Seriously. Especially for
1: something so big. Yeah. Like, why I think
3: would, he'd call her or go talk go to her talk in person. To her.
1: Well, probably because he knew she'd start questioning him about. Lacey because at this point she he knows that you have nothing to hide then go get questions
2: it's it's her mom yeah it's ridiculous
1: but he's in this protect mode where he's trying to protect himself because he knows that all eyes are on him now and that the police are on him so he's trying to keep himself you know in this protected shell where he can you know still do the things that he feels he needs to do but not you know avoid being Directly attacked by anybody the police then got another search warrant for Scott's warehouse in mid-February But by then he had actually removed everything from the warehouse and terminated the lease at that building The search for Lacey continued through the winter and into spring and the case was even featured on an episode of America's most wanted As most cases at that time were and on April 13 2003 a couple walking their dog in Richmond's point Isabel regional shoreline park made a very gruesome discovery. In a swampy region of the park near the San Francisco Bay shore, they found the body of a fetus. It was a late term male fetus and the body was remarkably well preserved. The umbilical cord was attached, but it looked as if it had been ripped away from the mother. There was also a large gash on the right side of the body, one and a half loops of nylon tape around the neck and a piece of black electrical tape over his ear, folding it over. The next day, Someone was walking along the eastern shoreline just one mile from the site where the fetus was found, and in a rocky area, this person found the mutilated body, basically the torso of a woman. Sick. And unlike the fetus, the woman's body had decomposed so much and was so badly mutilated that it was hard to tell what it was. But after DNA testing, it was confirmed that this was the body of 27-year-old Lacey Peterson, and the fetus found the day before it was her unborn son, Connor.
2: And even before that actually was confirmed, people pretty much knew. There was coverage right away. As soon as they found the body, there was so much hype about Lacey that people immediately connected it to her and it ended up being her.
1: And it's important to note, too, that the reason why they even went to the bay to search was because they did find out that Scott had a boat. They did find mm-hmm. out he went fishing there. And once Scott really became the prime suspect, that's when the police put all their search efforts into searching. Uh, the bay area they went out there and combed that area and it's interesting that they didn't find them and it happened to be just random people People. walking along that found lacy that's kind of weird to me honestly but then again it's also important to note that there's lots of winds in this area the weather changes a lot so there's you know there's reasons why the police never found anything but then you know after some weather everything shows up on shore But when Lacey was found, she had no head, no arms, and most of her legs had been removed. Two ribs were cracked, and she had been disemboweled, basically meaning all of her organs were not in her body uh, except for her uterus. Forensic pathologist Dr. Brian Peterson, who is not related to Scott, performed both autopsies, and he found that Connor had been left inside Lacey's uterus after she died and wasn't removed until after her body had started to decompose. This explains how Connor's body was preserved while Lacey's was severely decayed.
2: Sometimes they call this, I believe coffin birth might be the term for it, but yes, a baby can be born after the mother has passed away. Um, It just naturally can come out of the body it's so sick to think about makes me so disturbed but the big thing here is
1: the electrical tape on connor yeah that's what's what's so confusing
2: well some people say that maybe as he was born per se that the tape came off of her body and onto him i don't know it doesn't make a lot of sense i just hate thinking about it it freaks me out
1: yeah, it it doesn't make a lot of sense at all, especially considering that they were likely dumped in the bay mm-hmm. into the water. And so how does tape move from one body to another? That doesn't really make sense at all. Or it is even possible, I feel like. It's very
3: confusing. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. How is tape that's in water going to stick to another human mm-hmm. long enough for another human to find them? To pick it up.
1: It's very weird. I mean, the tape thing is still a mystery. Mm-hmm. We don't understand that at all. Mm-hmm. And to me... I think there's a possibility that perhaps like, like how, where did the tape come from then?
2: I don't know. I obviously don't
1: know. No one knows. So unless after this had all happened, somebody found the the baby and then put the tape on it after it had come ashore. I've heard a lot really of people weird.
2: saying they think it was tape on her body that ended up on him
1: after he was born. It
2: just doesn't make sense. I to know me it's though. very how? confusing. That's just what. You know the experts there's say. no
1: way electrical tape is going to do that yeah I'm, I'm
2: curious what you guys think about that because there's definitely some inconsistencies i'm confused
1: so dr peterson could not determine a cause of death or time of death for lacy he also didn't list an official cause of death for connor though he said that lacy's death likely caused connor's which that does make sense yeah. but with the discovery of the bodies the missing person case then became a murder investigation but once the bodies were found, the detectives were like, we got our guy. Mm-hmm. This was clearly premeditated. He clearly planned to murder Lacey.
2: Mm-hmm. He had been out there that day. I mean, yeah, it definitely looks that way.
1: So within a week after they found Lacey's body, the detectives wanted to talk to Scott right away. So they began to try and track him down, and they suspected that he was down in San Diego near the Mexican border, and he was driving a Mercedes. So, on April 18, 2003, they actually tracked his car to a freeway in San Diego, and he was going 80 miles per hour. And then suddenly, he slammed on the brakes and pulled over. And this erratic pattern continued. They even used a helicopter to try to stay on top of him, but the police still lost him. And according to Scott, he says the reason for all of this and the reason for going down to San Diego was that he wanted to get out of town, go play golf with his family, his father, and his brother. And that's why he was going down there. But police thought he was literally trying to escape and you know, go on the run pretty much. And the reason for his erratic driving, according to Scott, is because he thought the media was following him. And he's just so sick of the media at this point that he was he was like, I'm going to do anything I can to lose them. And so that's why his driving was so erratic.
2: And there are actually recordings of his phone calls, I think with his brother uh, saying the the paparazzi are following me. I'm going to try to lose them. But eventually he calls him and he's like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to golf. If the paparazzi see me golfing, that's going to look really bad for my image basically. And I can't come, but it wasn't the paparazzi, you know, it was the police following him, but he tried to uh, speed away from them. He said he even flipped them off a few times. So it was like a big chase. Yeah.
1: And what was interesting is that when they found Scott, Scott had dyed his dark hair blonde and had grown a goatee. In the car, they said they found his driver's license and his brother's driver's license. And the car was packed with clothes, camping equipment, fishing gear, ropes, knives, hiking boots, and a shovel. He also had $15,000 in cash, 12 Viagra pills, and four cell phones. So to the police, this looks like he's about to go on the run. Mm -hmm. But he claims that this was just, you know, He was like kind of living out of his car because he was trying to get away from everybody, get away from the media. Yeah. His life was Uh, kind of a mess. Yeah, it was, it was an absolute mess. So he wanted to try and hide just from, you know, all the, all the press, but just five days after Connor was found, the police arrested Scott Peterson on suspicion of murder. Scott's brother Lee said that the only reason he had his driver's license was to get a discount at the golf course as a San Diego resident And he explained that Scott was actually living out of his Mercedes in order to avoid the media. So his family did vouch for him on the fact that he wasn't trying to flee or go to Mexico. He just was literally trying to get away from the media. But investigators were not buying the story at all. And Scott was arraigned on April 21st, 2003 and pled guilty to two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances. And one year later, actually, in April 2004, President George Bush signed the Unborn Victims of Violence Act into law. With Lacey's mother and stepfather at the White House, which basically states that under federal law, if someone harms or kills a fetus while committing a crime against the mother, that person will be charged with a separate offense for the crime against the unborn child. So, hence the two murder charges. On Lacey's 28th birthday, May 4, 2003, more than 3,000 people gathered for a memorial service to honor the life of Lacey and her unborn son, Connor. So meanwhile, Scott's in jail awaiting trial and the whole trial is just a complete debacle because there's so much press, so much media, there's everybody knows about this case. So Scott's defense lawyers were very worried that they weren't going to get a fair trial uh, in, you know, where they lived in Modesto because everybody knew about it and, you know, it wouldn't be fair. So they went to the judge and said, hey, we need to move his trial to another county because we need to find somewhere where he's going to have you know a fair trial, and they ended up moving his trial to San Mateo County, but that's only like I think less than an hour away. So they're like, Well, that doesn't really help us that much because everybody there is going to know about it too. But then again, it's like, Where could he have even gone to for he could have been tried in New York? And I think people would have known about this case there because it was just so, that's so true, so widespread that mm. I, it didn't matter. I don't think it really mattered where the trial was. It was going to be very difficult to try to find jurors that didn't know about this case no matter what. And what's interesting is that despite all the media coverage leading up to this, they did not allow cameras in the courtroom and a gag order was placed on those involved in the trial in order to keep the details out of the media. But you know how the media is. They got Mm -hmm. leaks. They got people that on the inside are going to get the, the juicy details. So, so Scott hired a high profile criminal defense attorney named Mark Garagos and Mark. He was like on TV a lot. I think he was on, uh, larry king or or some of those uh you know those panels Mm -hmm. that talk on the news things like that he was definitely very well known he had worked a ton of high profile cases and been very successful and i believe he told the uh, scott's family that it was going to be a million dollars to defend scott a
2: million dollars and they were like like, okay what else are we going to do
1: yeah and they really they were like going to have to sell everything to to fund that because they didn't really have the money to do that but That was literally their only shot at getting Mm -hmm. getting Scott, the defense that he needed. So he had Mark Garagos, who's a very animated individual and he is very good at what he does. And on the other side, the lead prosecutor was named Rick DeStasso. And in the opening statements, basically they put forward this, this theory that what happened was is Scott actually killed Lacey and they I don't think they even said exactly how he killed Lacey, but then he put her body in his truck. And then the next morning, first thing in the morning, he went and dumped her body in the bay Mm -hmm. and put her body in the boat. And then he took his boat out to where he said he was fishing and then dumped her body there, which we'll, we'll kind of analyze that a bit more here in a bit. But that was their, their story. Now, if you go back, you remember, Scott saying that he had actually watched Martha Stewart with Lacey that morning. So in the defense's opening statements, they literally debunked the prosecution's theory right off the bat. Cause they're like, how could have Scott mm-hmm. been out dumping his wife's body if he was watching Martha Stewart with her that morning? And Scott had been pretty specific about the episode that he had watched. Yeah. And, and he mentioned that Martha Stewart was making some type of meringue Mm -hmm. in the episode and the defense was smart. They actually went and found the clip that aired that morning,
2: made sure that was what was actually airing
1: played it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, Martha Stewart was making meringue. Mm -hmm. And so that right there put a big question mark in the prosecution's theory because clearly he was watching this then Mm -hmm. at that time. And Lacey was likely still alive at that point.
2: Yeah. Why would he have just been watching it by himself too? Right. So yeah, that really wasn't a good point. So the main motive for the prosecutors as far as what they thought Scott had done this for was that he didn't want to be tied down with a wife and kid. And I guess the fact that he had had an affair definitely shows that he wanted some other type of life and wasn't really happy. Maybe. One of the defense witnesses was a computer forensic analyst who talked about the internet use at Scott's home and at the warehouse. He said that around 840 on December 24th, when Lacey disappeared, someone was on the Peterson home computer looking at sunflower umbrella stands and women's clothing. Now, it's interesting is Lacey loved sunflowers. She always had. She's into horticulture and she just thought they were really pretty. So it's likely her. And if she is on the computer at 840 that morning, then their entire statement about him having done it the night before and keeping her body cannot be true. Right. So it basically threw out a lot of what they had the first day. It didn't make any sense.
1: Which is very weird that they didn't even know that this was going to be said. Like, why would they present a theory that's just impossible based upon the internet usage and what the computer analyst said? Yeah. That's very weird like they didn't make sure that their who th- their witness that they're going to bring in or their expert they brought in was going to you know it basically ended up being a a plus for the defense because and Definitely. they didn't even realize like oh he mm-hmm. basically just debunked the prosecutor's theory again.
2: Yeah. And based on this new timeline if Lacey was the one that was on the computer Scott would have had to immediately kill her after she got off the computer and then clean up the evidence. Then drag her body all the way to the bay and dump her off in broad daylight.
1: Yeah. And let's not forget stopping at the warehouse to hop on his computer first.
2: Right. He also did that.
1: Because we we know that he went there and sent a couple emails, like basically did a couple normal things that somebody does in the morning at work Mm -hmm. before going fishing that day.
2: So some people obviously have argued that Scott was actually the one looking up the umbrella stand to make it seem like Lacey was still alive. However, if this was true, why wouldn't Scott be bringing this up saying, look, I know Lacey was still alive that morning because she was on the computer looking up umbrella stands. Like why wouldn't he have made it obvious? But he didn't, he never told police that he didn't know that she had made those computer searches. He found out when the computer analyst brought it up. Yeah. So you'd think that all that time he would have been trying to debunk everything they were saying to him. If he knew that detail, like, Hey, I can prove that she was alive. let go look she at her, her computer com- right. and
1: see what she was doing. It
2: doesn't even make sense for him to make that up as a lie. But
1: then again, on the flip side, you could say that I think from the very beginning as soon, because everything shifted to him so quickly in this case that he basically shut down as, as a, a person, you know, just in general, like he, I think maybe he knew that I'm going to be the suspect here. So I'm just going to protect myself at the, you know, and not say anything to anybody. Somebody could argue that is all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Is it likely that most people do that? No, but maybe that's what Scott was thinking.
2: But either way, if Lacey was the one on the computer at that time, it proves the entire prosecution's timeline to be wrong they would have had to completely change it to from thinking that she was dead on the 23rd to thinking that she was still alive on the 24th. Yeah, so, which is huge. That's yeah, a huge
1: thing huge. To, to prove.
2: Mm-hmm. So one thing they did find when searching through his stuff was a bucket of dried cement at his warehouse. And Scott said that he made this as an anchor for his boat. At one point during the trial they displayed pictures of Lacey's body as well as Connor's and during this time there were a lot of reports about Scott saying that he wasn't showing any emotional reaction when he saw these pictures. However, I've heard many people say that he actually did. He just didn't show the classic like he wasn't crying and um really showing anything extremely emotional, but he was having these like gulps of air. He yeah. was like kind of sitting there with his mouth open and right blown away clearly
1: well because in some cases people would say oh they're fake crying so Mm -hmm. if you do show real emotion maybe you do start breaking down and crying which i think a lot of people would be able to discern whether or not they thought it was fake crying or not but at the same time it's just another thing for people to to kind of use against you if you do Mm -hmm. if you did start like tearing up and crying i feel like a lot of people would have been like oh he's fake crying trying to act like he's he's sad you know now but on the flip side, maybe he's just like, I'm going to be, and his family has said that Scott and his whole family are stoic people. That's just kind of how they are. They're very like, I guess, unemotional and they just kind of like keep it inside versus expressing their emotions outwardly. Mm -hmm. So, and
2: and that became a big part of this case was his emotional state, you know, even to the jury, like the jury was even presented everything about those calls with Amber and presented that. How can this guy make these calls from a vigil when he, when his wife's missing and meanwhile he's lying to his side girl, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that really did not do well with the jury.
1: Right. Now let's go back for a second talk about the cement anchors for a second. Mm -hmm. So this was a big thing for the prosecution because they found the materials, the cement uh, remains that were used to make the cement anchor. They asked Scott, how many anchors did you make? He said one. And that was for his boat. Uh, There was some contention about the extra cement and where it went. And they found it actually at the Peterson home. So Mm -hmm. there was, you know, some debate whether or not, you know, well, he clearly made more than one anchor because where's the cement and stuff. And Mm -hmm. he was like, I poured it out. I used it there. And they did find it. It did. So as far as what we know, he may have only made one anchor. But according to, you know, the people that found the body and experts, they said, it looked like somebody had attached these cement anchors to all of her limbs, Lacey's limbs, mm-hmm. and one around her neck, and that's the reason why basically she was there was Just nothing left apart. but a torso. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of debate whether or not. Like
2: why was he making the anchors? And.
1: And again, we have to remember, though, that you know when we think of anchors, I think a lot of us think of like a big traditional anchor. But his boat, Scott's boat, is a tiny fishing boat. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing is small. It is small. It, it's maybe like eight feet long or, or it's close to that.
2: Yeah, and let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Is it even possible for him to have thrown a body off of this small boat without tipping it?
1: With anchors.
2: With anchors, yeah.
1: That, to me, is the... Is the most puzzling thing about this is how it's not even physically possible. Yeah. And unfortunately, and the defense, this was a huge point for them. Like we we will prove to you that this is impossible for somebody to bring a body yeah. onto this boat, a get out of the actual, uh, Harbor or Marina itself because there's people living in houseboats. This boat is tiny. There's no coverage on mm-hmm. it. There's no way to hide anything on this boat. Really? I mean, I guess you could throw a tarp over it, but somebody would have seen
2: something, something sketchy, right? Yeah.
1: And, no, everybody reported like there's just Scott in the boat. There's nothing else in there with him that, that saw him go out that day. And I'm pretty sure if he had had a body in there with a bunch of cement and anchors, somebody would have saw something.
2: Well, his attorney actually set it all up too. And yeah. tried to have I think four different people try to throw off the jury, a yeah. weight like a dummy with the oh, yeah. anchors on it. Um and all four times the boat tipped over. It wasn't even possible yeah. for them to do it.
1: The defense themselves like made a video mm-hmm. they and did. it got we'll thrown out. In. But the fact that the judge did not let this video be played in the trial was huge because the guy that's performing this experiment is flipping the boat every time, Anytime he tries to throw mm-hmm. something heavy overboard. That's how tipsy this boat is. Yeah. So Scott, if he did do this in the way that they said he did it, he would have capsized the boat. He would have flipped the boat 100%. There's no way... For this to even happen the way they said it did. Mm-hmm. But what they did allow in court was they allowed the boat to be on dry land and they allowed the jurors to go on the boat and like see how tippy it was. But it's on land.
2: Yeah. You can't. How is that even? Yeah. How normal? are they even supposed to yeah. compare it? It's completely different.
1: So I, I think in that regard, they kind of got screwed by not being able to actually put the boat in water and show people, you know, how did this happen? Because this is, this is a huge point is that that's their main theory is that he yeah. took her out on the boat and threw her over and that's how she ended up on the shore.
2: And it's like, you need evidence. Mm-hmm. You need evidence. If you can't even explain how someone did the murder, then that's a big problem. And you probably can't give them the, the death penalty, you know? And I understand like this case is so emotional. People are so split on this one. And some people are set 100%. They cannot be convinced Scott Peterson did this and I understand that his emotions are so hard to wrap your head around how he could possibly have been acting the way he was. And obviously it's just disgusting all the affairs that he was having. And I feel bad for Lacey in that way, but is there enough evidence to put this to make sure to be, we are sure that this person killed her without a
1: reasonable doubt.
2: Right. And there's not, there's other reasonable, there's reasonable doubts. We'll bring up some of those points in a bit.
1: Scott's a scumbag for sure. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think he may be like a, you know, addicted to sex, even might have a sex issue. I mean, he had, they, they pointed a lot of things to, you know, Amber, the fact he had pornography channels purchased uh, you know, different things with sex workers he was involved with. There was a lot of different things and clearly he was promiscuous I guess is the word, right? Like Mm -hmm. he, he seeked out sex wherever he could get it. He, that was definitely the number one thing on his mind. But then again, there's tons of people out there like that. And that doesn't make you a murderer. doesn't make you somebody that would kill your wife and your unborn child for, for what, I mean, so that you can be free to have all the sex you want. Like to me, Scott's mental you know, like state doesn't, I just don't see a, a rational way where he would go down that road. Like he loved, he was looking forward to his son.
2: I mean, maybe though, Like, people can portray that they are a lot of things.
1: Well, according to his family and those closest to him, they said that Scott was ecstatic for having a child.
2: But maybe to them. I mean, maybe we don't know.
1: Yeah, we don't know. I'm just saying,
2: like, as much as we don't have an idea that he did it for sure, we don't know that he didn't do it either. Mm -hmm. And I'm just somewhere in the middle. Like, so much of his actions and the way he was just really strike me the wrong way. But, but then at the same time, there's just like not enough.
1: Right. So let's talk about why there's not enough. Okay. So in all these searches that the police did, they did multiple searches of his house. They combed his house. Mm-hmm. They never found one Nothing. thing that would connect him to Lacey's murder or disappearance at all. There's no forensic evidence. There was no physical evidence there. The only thing they found was some pliers that had her hair on it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, of course, there's going to be her hair, but there's no blood. There's no, you know, there. And there was a lot of things leaking too, to the media that said that there was bleach. There was a smell of bleach in the oh, house. Oh yeah,
2: that was a big thing actually. That did get falsely reported that there was bleach in the house that he had used bleach for something, but that's not true.
1: There was a lot of false things that came out through the media. The media really tainted this investigation and mm-hmm. this case and trial, honestly. In my and opinion. that's
2: why it's been reversed now. I mean, which we'll get into that update, but because they have brought up so many of these points, that, I mean, there's a huge documentary in Hulu that's really, um, you know, shows Scott's side. It's not as biased and it's pretty mind blowing how little evidence they had.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, even to the point where, During the trial, they brought in the prosecution, brought in a hydrologist named Rick Chang, and he testified about where the bodies had been dumped and how they traveled through the water. But during cross examination by the defense, he admitted that it wasn't possible to know precise locations because of the chaotic tidal systems in the San Francisco Bay. And it was also came out that he has no knowledge about tidal systems, he has no idea. Like the prosecution really, really messed up. Like they brought in some horrible experts that did not help them at all and in fact hurt them and so throughout the whole trial i mean the defense was feeling pretty good like they were feeling good about the fact that you know the prosecution was messing up they were literally debunking everything they threw at them and and so they felt pretty confident about what the result of the trial would be but everything did not go according to plan uh, even for the defense, because the defense brought forward a, their star expert witness who is a fertility specialist named Charles Merch, who would supposedly prove that Connor had died a week later than what the prosecution claimed. But during his testimony, he admitted his findings were based on anecdotal evidence from a friend of Lacey's. And when he was pressed, Charles got agitated and told the prosecutor to cut him some slack, which you remember that? Like, yeah. that was like, who does yeah, that? Like, very odd. Yeah, it's a very weird way. Like, he just totally flopped on the stand yeah. and yeah this was a deciding factor for some of the jury members also the prosecution made the case that scott's motive for the murder was threefold first he wanted to continue his affair with amber fry second he was in a lot of debt and wanted to collect Lacey's life insurance policy for two hundred fifty thousand. and third he didn't want to be a father in a recorded phone call with amber she asked him if he was still adamant about not having kids with her he said oh i wouldn't say adamant but it's not in my thoughts currently
2: So over five months after the trial started on November 3rd, 2004, the jury started to deliberate and only a few days into the deliberation, one of the jurors confessed that they had broken a rule where you're not allowed to do any outside research on your own. I mean, that's pretty obvious. You're not supposed to do that. And they had done some research on the internet and a lot of stuff was on the internet about this case, obviously. So it left the judge with no choice but to kick her off and to bring in a backup juror.
1: So the alternate juror that they brought in to replace this other juror was Rochelle nice and the media quickly nicknamed her Rochelle strawberry shortcake because of her bright red hair. And it was speculated that Rochelle wanted to serve on a death penalty case and she lost her job to serve and she lied on her juror questionnaire, but yet she was still allowed to be on the jury. The foreman Gregory Jackson requested to be replaced after the jury had already started deliberations And Gregory Jackson, by all accounts, was uh, probably the most intelligent person in the deliberation room. And he was leaning towards finding Scott Peterson not guilty by, you know, all the evidence. Because once you go back into the deliberation room, you start going over all the evidence that was presented in court. You have to go through step by step and see if there's enough evidence to convict this person of the crimes they've been accused of. And according to Gregory Jackson, they were definitely leaning to not guilty for Scott. However, Mark Garrigo, Scott's attorney told reporters that the foreman had received threats and no longer felt safe serving. And it's speculated that the real reason was that the other jurors wanted the foreman to be replaced. So it's, it's almost like, cause like a jury foreman kind of lead has to mm-hmm. lead everybody through. And he's mm-hmm. kind of the, uh, you know, person kind of has a final say in a sense, yeah, like, you know, a little bit, because ultimately I think if Gregory Jackson had not been removed from the jury, then this would have ended up being a hung jury uh, at the end of Quite it. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. And that's what Mark Garrigo said as well is he was like the, the best case scenario here was, is that he, this is a hung jury and you know, we, we do it again and mm-hmm. we get a different jury. So once Gregory Jackson was replaced and a new foreman was appointed, one of the current jurors, what's crazy is that, the verdict literally came back, I think, within the the next 24 hours, yeah. and nobody expected it to come back that Friday. They thought it was going to go into the next week. So Scott's lawyer, Mark Garagos, wasn't even there for when the verdict was read. How crazy is that? I
2: know. Yeah, he just assumed it. He's he, very cocky.
1: He was like, "They assumed that okay, a new foreman is going mm-hmm. to be a whole nother thing. It's going to be at least uh, you know until next week yeah. that we get the verdict." But nope, it came that Friday.
2: So the verdict was announced on November 12, 2004 at 1.30pm and Scott was found responsible for both Lacey and Connor's death. Here's the video.
0: State of California versus Scott Peterson. We the jury in the above entitled cause find the defendant, Scott Lee Peterson, guilty of the crime of murder of Lacey Denise Peterson in violation of Penal Code section 187a as election count one of the information filed herein. We, the jury, for the final degree of the murder to be that of the first degree. Debated November 12, 2004, four, four person number six. We, the jury, in the above-entitled cause, find the defendant, Scott Lee Peterson, guilty of the crime of murder of baby Connor Peterson. After
2: the verdict, there was a period for about a month where they had to decide if he was going to receive the death penalty or if he was just going to get life without parole. And obviously this is a huge decision. Not that it means much in California these days. Like they don't end up actually carrying, carrying out with the death. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: probably been a long time that they've carried out a death sentence there. Yeah, so
2: anyway, on December 13th, 2004, it was announced that the jury decided on the death penalty. And here is that clip. People
0: of the State of California versus Scott Peterson. We the jury in the above entitled cause fix the penalty at death. Jack I had no idea so I to do it. I feel my feet the floor. I feel terrorist, pity My vision was even a little flurry. I just had this weird sensation that I uh, was falling forward and forward in town.
2: There
0: was no end to this falling forward in town. Like there was no floor
1: to land on. So later on, on March 16th, 2005. Judge DeLucci sentenced Scott to death by lethal injection and ordered him to pay $10,000 for Lacey's funeral. He was then sent to San Quentin state prison the next day, which is the only death row prison in California. Cause that's how little death row inmates they have compared to uh, the rest of the country and San Quentin, man, that's a, that's a rough place to go. Definitely. Scott did try to collect Lacey's life insurance policy for 250,000, but in California, it's against the law for a criminal to profit from an insurance policy. Good. That's interesting because I'm sure he was going to use that to try to pay his lawyer yeah. bills. What oh, the fuck? Mhm. But a judge ruled in October 2005 that as a convicted murderer of Lacey, Scott was not entitled to collect any money. It was Sharon Lacey's mom that ended up getting the 250,000.
2: Good. So obviously, I'm sure you guys are pretty on the fence about what you think, whether you believe he's guilty or you think he's innocent or like I said, you're somewhere in the middle. So maybe this will help you kind of figure out what you think, though, because this definitely presents some interesting things to think about. Absolutely. So if Scott didn't commit the crime, who could have done it? Well, there was a woman in their area in Modesto who had a really sketchy encounter with two men on the day of Christmas Eve. Her name is Lourdes, and she had a clothing store, and she was also eight months pregnant during the time that Lacey disappeared. She says that during Christmas Eve, she was at her store when around 11.15 a.m., a suspicious car pulled up across the street from her store. She said that for about 30 minutes, two men sat in the old car and watched her from across the street. Then she said that one of the guys got out of their car and went into the store. Lourdes ran into the back and hid and called the police. And to this day, she believes that those two men may be responsible for Lacey's death.
1: Because she thought they were going to hurt her, too. They were going to possibly do something because she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. Which I want to, to that point, I want to say that if you're not familiar with Modesto, it's a agricultural community, but there is some rough parts of town there. There's a lot of crime there. Uh, some people that live there even call it that's like meth murder and something else. Like there's some absolutely rough areas there. There's absolutely a, a, de- a decent amount of crime. And even in the areas uh, around where Scott and Lacey's house was and in, the, in their neighborhood. And when Lacey would go for walks, she would go through or nearby some of these areas where there was potential crime being committed. So with that being said, this theory is very interesting. So a neighbor who lived across the street, directly across the street from Scott and Lacey, mm-hmm. Susan Medina was out of town between December 24th and 26 in 2002. And during this time, her house was broken into the burglars stole jewelry, handguns and a toolbox, but they left behind hundreds of dollars in cash and a Mercedes. Apparently a neighbor named Diane Jackson saw three men in a brown or tan van outside Susan's house. And she actually reported it to police because she thought it was kind of weird uh, that it was there. Mm -hmm. And two other neighbors, Edgar Maldonado and his wife, saw a similar van at a nearby gas station. So it's possible that maybe Lacey had seen the burglary taking place Mm -hmm. and had been walking outside the house. And perhaps the burglars took her with her because she witnessed what they were doing and, you know, threaten her
2: some people that know Lacey has said that she would be the type to call out someone who's doing something wrong that she really didn't like anything or anyone being treated unfairly and she could have as other people put it stuck her nose in it right and told them like hey what are you doing or i'm gonna call the police and they acted on her because of that
1: right and there is multiple witnesses that said they saw her confront two men Uh, it's, and the police never followed up on any of these witnesses, unfortunately. So we'd have really no way to know. How insane is that? Yeah. uh, That's what's crazy. And the police did confirm that a burglary was reported, Mm -hmm. but what's crazy is they straight, when they came out and said it, they straight up lied about when it took place.
2: Yeah, they did. They
1: said it was the 26th that it took place. And
2: here's why that just makes no sense. There are so many media trucks covering the Peterson investigation and they're all in front of the Peterson house. And this is across the street. There are news media everywhere, journalists everywhere. Someone would have seen this. No one would commit a burglary when there's people all over the place outside. There's just no way it happened on the 26th.
1: No, because. They would have saw it like they would have had him on camera. If that was the case, the media would have no
2: way. So, but the police are
1: adamant that that that's when it, because
2: it ruins their whole narrative.
1: So that right there shows you that there was motive for the police to pin this on Scott. Mm -hmm. And it was, the investigation was absolutely unfair. In fact, it was probably botched completely because they were so laser focused on Scott being the one that killed Lacey.
2: Mm -hmm. and i mean he may have but why wouldn't you investigate all possibilities and make sure that that's what happened and that you don't have the wrong guy and the real killers are still out there right you know
1: it just it's just sloppy police work it's lazy
2: and you have to be absolutely sure you can't just go off of he seems guilty so he did it and that's the end of that i mean no that's not how this works
1: right this theory is very very interesting to me because i think there there could be some validity here with this one so During the investigation, the police actually got an anonymous tip about a satanic cult being run out of a nearby building that had abducted Lacey and sacrificed her and her baby. The police actually called the owner of the building, a furniture store owner, and he told them he had never heard of a satanic cult anywhere close. Another pregnant woman, though, named Evelyn Hernandez disappeared from San Francisco on May 1st, 2002, and Evelyn and Lacey both disappeared on satanic holy days. Both women were missing their hands, feet, and head when they were found. It's very, very weird. It is.
2: I mean, what are the chances of that happening twice so close to each other? It feels right. like they had to be connected. So that, I mean, that's huge.
1: That's, that's a huge.
2: Finding her was huge.
1: Yeah, that's a huge clue, too, to maybe we should investigate this. Mm-hmm. And in another possible linked case, members of a satanic cult called the Order of the Line killed four people in 1990. And the cult had 20 to 30 members and three of them are now on death row for the murders. And during the investigation, it was discovered that members of the order of the lion believed sacrificing a newborn was the purest thing you could do. And the gash on Connor's body could be an indication of ritual sacrifice, which so creepy. I, I think there's absolutely a chance. And when you look at these on a, on a map they are not that far away from each other from where mm-hmm. all of these people were, were murdered. So it's very possible that there was, you know, whether it was a satanic cult or just some, maybe group. just some random group that that Serial does shit killers, like this. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very possible. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It's not like they were living in, you know, Hollywood Hills or something. I mean, no. this is not, there, there is a lot of crime in this area that they lived. I think it's absolutely possible she could have been murdered by these burglars. And in fact, they, they said they solved that case and they arrested two individuals for that, and they said they had nothing to do with the missing pregnant woman well, of
2: course they're going to say they have nothing to do with right. it
1: but then again they heard kind of the opposite about it in prison from other inmates and this was even brought to the police but that was never followed up on yeah,
2: imagine that because they were set from the beginning
1: yeah they were absolutely set on scott from the beginning which support the theory that scott may have killed her in their home on december 23rd 2002 and dumped her body the next day and maybe Scott did set it all up and it was Scott that did the internet searches to make it appear that she was still alive because on December 24th, Scott washed his clothes as soon as he returned from his fishing trip, which was a chore usually done by Lacey. Uh, He also mopped the floor and vacuumed, even though the housekeeper had just done those chores the day before and multiple chemicals were found on the mop. An inspection of his fishing gear also showed that it hadn't been used that day.
2: That's pretty big too.
1: And investigators found evidence that Scott had a 55-gallon drum, cement blocks, fishing hooks, and fishing weights, but none of these items could be found. And Scott couldn't tell the investigators what happened to them.
2: Well, that's all very peculiar and yeah. definitely doesn't help his case either. And that's the thing is like I part of me still feels like he, he did it. You know, it's just there's not enough to be absolutely certain.
1: Right. I, I think at the end of the day, this is because it was such a high profile case. And this was a great point uh, that was brought up was that the police, the Modesto police department was under the limelight. Mm-hmm. And this for is sure. a police department that was not prepared for National. the media storm that followed this. And so true. they essentially were pressured by the media from day one to solve this and mm-hmm. to, you know, hold somebody responsible for this. Yeah. And rather than look incompetent and, you know, basically come out as like, oh, we fucked up. We don't know yeah. what we're doing. We don't know how to investigate this. We suck. They <laughs> they literally followed what the media told them to do, essentially. I mean, the amount of leaks and give information. The what they want. Right. Give the people what they want. And, feed the beast. And it all pointed to Scott. And that bled into his trial and that, mm-hmm. that just... You know, everything was weighted against him. I do not believe that Scott got a fair trial. No, at all. Think so. I I think I think he needs another trial. They clearly need to
2: look at all of it again.
1: Because I don't think there. I mean, there's no physical and forensic evidence. So let's let's talk about like how how is it even possible that he's able to pull all this off without without leaving any traces of evidence at all?
2: Yeah, that'd be extremely hard to do.
1: And when you go over the timeline, I mean, the amount of people that saw. Lacy walking her dog, during the time that Scott was at his warehouse and then out, you know, heading towards the bay. How do you explain it, that?
2: It doesn't make any sense. It absolutely. He's over here.
1: Up. She's over here.
2: Mm-hmm. She's still alive. At and that and point. she's
1: still alive walking. So unless there was somebody out there that day that looked exactly like Mackenzie, their dog, because everybody remembered the golden retriever. That's why they're so sure. Is like we know everybody knows Mackenzie, and mm-hmm. it was a pregnant woman. And all these people. Yeah. And there was enough was yeah.
2: people that it's not like every single one of them was confused.
1: Yeah. Uh, Diana Campos, 10 45 a.m., saw Lacey and McKenzie in Dry Creek Regional Park. McKenzie was off leash and barking, and two men were yelling at Lacey, shut the fucking dog up. That's what this person heard.
2: That's huge. Why was that not investigated fully? Right. That lead. That's just crazy to me.
1: And Scott's at 11 loading the boat onto his truck, driving to the marina Mm -hmm. where he went fishing. So the timelines, the Mm -hmm. timelines are just don't match up. And unless you discount all these witnesses, which is pretty much what the police did is they said, you didn't see her like that doesn't matter. Whatever you guys are claiming, Mm
2: -hmm. picking and choosing what they want to hear
1: because at this point they don't want to be wrong. Like they fucked this up big time. If, if, if Scott's not the one who did it, then they really, really mess this one up. the The killer is out there, or maybe it's you know the burglar in jail, the wrong guy. or yeah, the wrong guy. Maybe he's
2: just a shitty husband. He's sleazy. He's yeah, whatever else. But is he a murderer? Did he kill her? We don't know, you know. And there's not enough to say.
1: That's where I'm at with this. Is I'm like I don't think he should have been convicted for this. I, I think no, that if I anything, so it should. I mean, just based upon what happened with the jury, it should have been a hung jury. And he should have gotten a new trial and maybe it would have been more fair that time. But I I think there's absolutely not enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to convict him of the murders. There's Mm -hmm. just not and sentence him to death to death. Yeah. There's just not.
0: So
2: Scott and his attorney eventually filed an appeal in 2012 and it was 423 pages. The first part of the appeal was about the process of selecting the jury. The judge had made the decision that if a juror said that they were opposed to the death penalty, that they would automatically release them. The appeal argued that this wasn't okay because of the fact that the judge simply asked them a personal question instead of asking if they would be able to put their personal opinions aside about the death penalty and be able to strictly follow the laws, regardless of their personal beliefs about the death penalty. The second part of the appeal was the argument that the prosecution used tactics that aren't guaranteed to be foolproof, such as using dogs that don't have certification, They also did some mock attempts with the dog that they used and the dog failed 75% of the time. So they argue that this wasn't scientific evidence probably isn't. And also the whole thing about the hydrologist, they said that, you know, this guy really didn't have any experience with the movement of water and decay of bodies in water. So he shouldn't have been able to go up there at all. The third part of the appeal was going over the pieces of evidence from the defense side that was never included or taken into account. They didn't include the experiment done on the boat, you know, to show yeah, that it yeah. could not have physically been possible to throw the right. body off with the weights. But at the same time, the judge also allowed the jury to go inside of Scott's boat and kind of rock it around back and forth on the land.
1: Which is so, which isn't fair at all. I yeah, mean, it's like that's just pointless. That's it's not an
2: accurate, accurate representation of what would have right. actually happened.
1: Yeah, my whole thing is like, they did not prove their theory. They did not prove anything. The whole boat thing is a mystery.
2: Yeah. I don't know what the point is. Because
1: for all we know, Lacey could have been murdered and then dumped just off the shore.
2: Yeah. It may not have been the boat at all.
1: Because also think about it, how her body really made it all the way from over where Scott was all the way to the shore DNA. Yeah. Yeah. But in that like short amount of time and I I don't know. It just doesn't. And the place that Scott said he went to too is a shallow area. Why would he dump a body in a shallow area? And also, yeah, it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. The whole, the whole boat dropping thing doesn't make any sense, especially with Scott's boat.
2: But on August 10th, 2017, the state attorney general responded to the appeal, filing a 150 page document contesting the notion and disputing the claims that were put forward in the appeal, stating that the appeal ignored overwhelming evidence that Scott Peterson had murdered Lacey. So Scott's case remained on appeal for the California Supreme Court for a while. And even though he had the death sentence, of course, it's important to note how rare it is that someone actually gets put to death in California. No one has actually been put to death since 2006.
1: So most recently in early June, 2020, Scott's current attorney, Cliff Gardner, argued for a new trial in front of the California Supreme Court, claiming that the trial judge had made serious errors that influenced the jury, which we just talked about. Cliff also argued that the trial should have been moved even farther away from the media frenzy that surrounded it and much of the evidence presented by the prosecution shouldn't have been allowed particularly evidence from a tracking dog named trimble trimble supposedly picked up lacy's scent and tracked it to a boat ramp in berkeley however even according to the prosecution yeah lacy never walked on the ramp mm-hmm. and that's not science you can't base, yeah there's no science and like we said the dog, dog had
2: like a 75 accuracy reading yeah. so that's not gonna it's fly junk
1: science is what they would call it yeah the court was asked to redo the penalty and guilt phases of the trial. And on August 24th, 2020, the Supreme Court of California unanimously ruled to overturn 47 year old Scott Peterson's death sentence. However, his conviction for first and second degree murder was upheld. Obviously, the news of Scott's overturned death sentence was painful and shocking to Lacey's family, and the penalty phase of the trial will be redone, and the family will have to relive the trauma of Lacey's disappearance and murder. And they may even have to testify again. I wonder how that's going to go. Like yeah. what sentence are going to, are they going to reduce a sentence? Any, I think? don't know. Or are they and just going to give him life.
2: God, I just, I feel so bad for her family because they truly do believe it was him. And I wonder if they have had any doubts. I mean, I don't think they've publicly put anything out there, but I wonder if they like what they think personally, but her mom does not want him to be freed. I mean, she thinks he did it. Yeah. So I understand her pain and like, this is all wrapped up for them. And obviously it's easier to just be like, he did it and you yeah. know, he fuck him and he's done. Well, it's like but too like, late in the game. How do we know for sure? Yeah. And doesn't that bother you? It bothers me so much thinking he might not have done it. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to see anyone get the death penalty or even life in prison for something they didn't do. I mean, right. obviously no one wants that. Um, and how do you make absolutely sure
1: well, I mean, we have to. The court system needs to do its job and do it properly. Like, well, shouldn't all,
2: they redo the whole trial? Yeah, then?
1: yeah, that's what I think. Is I think they should redo the whole trial and but relook that's at everything. Be so painful for and her, it could end up family. with him being acquitted. Like he could walk away I from know, it, and, and that
2: might be really hard on them. But I mean, if that's the don't they want the truth at the end of the day? They want the real person who murdered Lacey behind bars, right? Yeah. Like if the real guys are out there still, or maybe they're in jail for something else. I mean, that's would you, did you want, want to know that. the truth? Yeah. Right? She would want the right person. And imagine if he didn't do it, right? Would she want her husband being held responsible for her death. If he didn't do it. Right. Like I think people get really attached and me too. Like for a long time I was like, fuck Scott Peterson. And I still am like, I, th- I think he's
1: a, he's a scumbag. Guy. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: But like, um, I was just so angry and so emotional and that's the thing that's hard with true crime, especially as a spectator versus being actually, educated on it and working in the courts or in law yeah, somewhere yeah. you have a different understanding of it but you know as just a spectator to all this you're just emotional and you right. just want to see someone go down for it and here's this is cheating on his beautiful pregnant wife and doesn't seem to show any emotion and doesn't like call the family i mean he did so many things that just rub me the wrong way but at the end of the day i know i can't say i'm 100 sure that he actually killed her right. Right. You have to be sure about something right. like that.
1: There's no physical or forensic evidence to suggest that yeah. he did.
2: And and then seeing these other possibilities. I mean, there were actually um, seven pregnant women, including Lacey that disappeared from yeah. that area yeah. within 80 miles of Modesto in that six months. And obviously we talked about Evelyn specifically, but there's multiple possibilities here. I mean, this, easily could have been something else some random act of violence some group that still might be out there
1: yeah absolutely i I think there's a it's the horrifying part is that none of those leads were chased down none of them were investigated we have no clue i mean for all we know know. if the police actually went down that road they might have solved it they might have actually if they had not just done what the media wanted them to do pretty much then perhaps this would be a solved case and we would know the truth about what happened to Lacey and Connor.
2: And maybe if they did a better job of investigating, they would have actually found some more evidence that Scott did it. Like I'm just saying they need to do a better job of investigating all possibilities in total, you know?
1: Yeah. I feel like this happens way too much where they just don't, Mm. you know, they don't do enough. They
2: want to like wrap it up. And I think that's so true what you said about the media pressure I think they were feeling that. I mean, this is being covered on Larry King every night. It was like national news. People are following this. Like
1: they don't want to look incompetent. They don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing. They want to look like we're bringing justice swift. We're doing what the family wants. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost a PR thing for them. They want good PR. They want to look Mm -hmm. like we're a great police department. We're here getting justice for victims. And, and in reality though, like they're not, they're not actually doing an investigation. They just literally, you know, because he had a boat, because she ended up in the bay, boom, boom, yeah. there we go. That's that's the answer, but it's physically impossible. Like that Most boat likely, is tiny. How yeah. did he? Like in the in the event that he did do it, that must have been like he must have really planned that out and known ahead of time, and, and like or yeah. it was
2: really good luck that he didn't tip the boat and like and
1: nobody yeah. happened to see him with a body there's in like there. Too and many
2: like, things. There's too many
1: things. To there's be just sure. too many questions to yeah. s- to convict somebody or even give them a life sentence because of this. Unfortunately, like, and I hate saying that cause I want to see somebody, mm-hmm. you know, brought to obviously, justice. obviously we this. all
2: do, but it's like, you don't want the wrong person,
1: but yeah, that's the thing is you don't want innocent people on death row. You don't want innocent people serving life in prison where their life is taken from them in San Quentin. I can't even imagine yeah. the hell that that is every day.
2: And I just want to make it clear that by thinking about this more critically and questioning Scott, you're in no way disrespecting Lacey at all. Like I said, she would want the truth out there as well. So if there's a possibility that we don't have the truth, I'm sure she would want us to look into it and think and question it. Like, I think a lot of people think that if you're somehow, like if you question Scott's innocence or Or law enforcement or law enforcement, yeah, that you are like against Lacey.
1: Mm -hmm. It's not true at all. The criminal justice comes back to truth. What is the right. truth about what happened there's to the There's only one
2: truth, and, and don't we want that?
1: And unfortunately, you know, like you can't always trust law enforcement, you can't always mm-hmm. trust the media, you can't always trust these uh, entities that are telling you what happened. And in this case, it's very, very clear. There's just the, where's the evidence? Show us the physical evidence. Where's the hard proof that confirms that Scott did this? And there's just not. It's not there. So if it's not there, then it's somewhere else. Mm-hmm. There's proof somewhere else. The tape on Connor, please explain that to me. Yeah, anybody that's like weird, where did that come from? And don't tell me it just floats off of one body and attaches to another. That's like impossible. That's what they say like, I don't believe that at all. I think that she was not dumped out in the middle of the bay. I think she was dumped on the shore of the bay, perhaps off of a cliff area even. And, you know, they thought, okay, we'll just. She'll just, you know, go to the bottom of that area. I'm sure there's drop-off areas where, you know, you can just drop somebody there and they go to the bottom. And then, you know, over time, she floated to the top. But I, I just don't see how it's physically possible for Scott to have pulled this off the way that he did with the timelines the way they that we said have. That he did right in the ways that law enforcement said, with all these witnesses claiming that she was alive when mm. he would have been going to dump her body, and she or she would yeah, have been dead and in the his computer truck. searches, right?
2: definitely that the so, martha stewart thing i mean there's just so many things
1: there there's absolutely so i mean we could sit here for hours yeah, and, and debate about this and we are already a few really hours long. into this yeah. so
2: yeah we really want to hear your guys's thoughts though we know that there's so many different opinions on this case and we respect everyone's opinion so we want to hear absolutely what you think.
1: and we respect the family and you know we understand yeah. that this is hard and this is and it's it's extremely it's painful, painful for
2: them yeah i know i know
1: But at the end of the day, I think the truth truth. is, is the most important thing here. And hopefully we get that one day. I agree. But with that being said, we will go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Uh, Hopefully you uh, enjoyed this episode and hopefully you're just as, you know, flustered and, you know, in your head about what happened as we are. I mean, this is one of those cases that will keep you up at night. It'll definitely make you think uh, about all the scenarios here. Um so be sure to give this video a thumbs up uh, make sure you subscribe on YouTube iTunes and follow on Spotify we'd really appreciate it but until next time stay safe and stay woke